I'm Aaron. This is Paul. This is Wayne. And this is Tim. Well, good morning, post-Turkey Day, guys. Oof. Very exciting stuff. Lots of turkey. <laughs> so, or or a, zero turkey. One, one of yeah. the two. It's, it's extremes here is what it is. Yeah, exactly. Because I don't like turkey. I had it, but I'm not a turkey guy. Paul, I uh, I took the, the wife and her sister to your favorite restaurant for uh, Thanksgiving. We went over to Cool River Cafe. I was going to say Las Poyos Hermanos was his favorite restaurant. I, was... <laughs> I, I thought it was Chica's Locos. It's kind of all of the above. I have a top three, really. That's right. <laughs> See, I did uh, Thanksgiving with the in-laws, and I always have my move of I have a turkey at home in the smoker, so I have my excuse to leave. But I did uh, two turkey breasts in the smokers, smoked for seven and a half. Really strong smoke flavor. Turned out incredible. I, uh, you know, like I said, I'm not the uh, the biggest turkey guy. I, I, in fact, I really... <laughs> This is going to sound really kind of an asshole statement, but everyone expects that from me anyway. <laughs> I uh, I didn't really like Thanksgiving dinner until I started making my mac and cheese for it. Mm. And then I was like, oh, okay. I know, I know now, people, I, now there's something I can eat. <laughs> I know people who that, that, that is a staple at on their uh, on their Thanksgiving Day dinner menu. That, that if there is not macaroni and cheese on the dinner menu, it's not Thanksgiving for them. And that just uh, that's one of those things that it, that we never had that at my house. It was always very traditional. But uh, for some folks, they've got to have that mac and cheese at Thanksgiving time. Yeah, well, I'm Puerto Rican, so I didn't discover mac and cheese until I was, uh, you know, <laughs> in high school at a friend's house. Right, right. It, it was it was rice and beans growing up. None of this mac and cheese bullshit. <laughs> well, you know, we we went out for for Thanksgiving, and so we we had the traditional calamari appetizer, uh, Ooh, you know, ju- just like the pilgrims had. <laughs> but it was good. You've been to Cool River, Paul. It, it, it was really good. That place is the bomb. That yeah. place is the bomb. Yeah, it is really good. Good steaks. Did you have steak or did you have turkey or did no, you have I, none of the above? I had I, I had their their Thanksgiving dinner because unlike yourself, Paul, I really like turkey, and so uh, I, I had the smoked turkey cornbread dressing and various other items and sundries, and then came home to my homemade, regionally acclaimed orange bourbon pecan pie. I think we need one of those for the next oh, con. I got to put that so out there. I don't know really what good. sounds more incredible: that pie or the uh, smoked turkey stuffing. It was all really good. It's homemade. It was all very good. And the, the, I, I will tell you, uh, you know, if you if you have any questions about the uh, quality of the pie, ask Mikey Mason. I made him one at at, uh, Fear, at the Fear the Con a couple of years back. Yes, I recall that, Aaron. Uh-huh. I recall that Mikey Mason has had the regionally acclaimed orange bourbon pecan whatever the hell it is pie. Uh huh. Yeah. And and I haven't. You know why? You know why, why Paul? Why? Mikey sings to me. Does it I sing, sing to you? To you. Mm, no, not so much. You hum. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's close enough. Well, should you happen to bring one to ManCon next year, uh-huh. we can enjoy a slice while we play the thing Infection at Outpost 31 board game. What? So have you, you guys are familiar with Mondo, right? Yes. 
Mondo, they they do. For those of you who aren't, Mondo is a company. Uh, you can go to Mondo Tees T E E S dot com, and they do uh, like really high scale prints, action figures, statues, things like that. It's it's really limited run uh, goods uh, and collectibles. And this year they did a, a board game based on the thing, the movie The Thing. It's called Infection at Outpost Thirty One. Um, it is a game made for four to eight players, playing time about one to two hours. Um, it includes a bunch of cards, dice, plastic movers, chip pieces. And it's kind of one of those games where you don't know who's the thing at any given time kind of thing. It's it's uh, you know kind of like this paranoia board game type thing. Um, it looks like a lot of fun. And I purchased the limited edition run that so they, they have a standard edition which you can probably get at your local gaming store and they had a limited edition that they only made 1982 of 1982 like the movie um that contained uh artwork by jock the artist jock from detective comics yeah um there he um has a, a signed print inside of it it also has expanded gameplay um and two uh specific um sculpted movers i guess game pieces that come with it and i it came in the mail like the day before thanksgiving and i don't have three to seven more friends to play this with yeah. so i this will be joining me to mancon <laughs> paul has legit no friends <laughs> I, I have legit like two friends <laughs> under the minimum of four <laughs> Paul, that sounds like a incredible game. I am excited for it. God, oh, it fun. looks stupid. It, it looks stupid good. Um, really, really um, gorgeous uh, box art, and uh, the game board looks like a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to digging into this. Um, the standard edition is sixty bucks. I I was stupid because I'm a huge fan of the thing. It is probably in my top three favorite films of all time, and I went for the um, the limited edition, which is sold out at this point um, because it was very limited. Uh, I have but, I have a card game that I'm just dying to play, and I, we just haven't done it yet. It's uh, uh, Bears versus Babies. It's by the same oh, yeah. people who made oh. Exploding Kittens, and it's Bears versus Horrible, Horrible Babies. And uh, I, I, I'm dying to play it. I, hopefully, maybe this weekend. Well, you know, we, we can we can enjoy some of these things at next year's 2018 ManCon, 2017 ManCon actual plays coming any day now. Maybe, maybe not, but sometime soon. <laughs> you know, Paul, maybe I'll get an opportunity to edit those this week because my wife is going out of town. Uh, she, oh, she she she's uh, heading out of town for an extended period. And she's finally she's finally had it. huh? That's right. She is out of here. And she has been running me through the rules, and she's like, you know, remember the rules. And I'm like, absolutely. Strippers don't spend the night. And, you know, she's like, no. And I said, oh, so they can spend the night. No. I mean, it's we, it, there's a lot of no involved in the rules, I'm finding. But, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I uh, will be, you know, man about the house this week because uh, I'll be all, all by my lonesome. We call that hall pass week around here, <laughs> <laughs> except, you know, I had a friend reach out to me and uh, they asked, hey, because the last time my um, my significant other was out of town, um, they said, hey, what are you doing on, on Friday night? And I'm like, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm just like uh, ordered a pizza, getting caught up on my TV shows. And I'm like, Jesus, when did you get so boring? It's no pants Tuesday. It's no pants Tuesday. Yeah, hall pass weeks are not are not the the excitement that they used to be. That they are in the movies. Uh, I don't know. 
I don't know. <laughs> Editing podcasts. I don't know. Riveting stuff. <laughs> Riveting stuff. Super exciting. <laughs> well, speaking of super exciting, um, I got caught up on the Secret History of Comics this Wednesday evening, actually, the night before Thanksgiving, while I was cooking up my uh, mac and cheese. And um, I saw this past week's episode, which was the Trials of Superman, uh, that um, kind of... Um, is one of the most comprehensive tellings, uh, well, at least in visual medium, of the uh, the struggles that uh, Siegel and Schuster went through for the Superman rights and and to to get their due for creating that character of Superman. Um, and so I think a, a couple of you guys also watched this episode. Oh yeah, yeah. I, th- I thought it was uh, it was a good summary of the uh, Jerry and Joe story. Yeah, what I've loved about the show is that. They seem to cover each topic. They try to cover both sides of it because all of them have been kind of a debate in comic community for some of them. But they do a really good job of being comprehensive but not painting people off as villains. Except in this one, they did a pretty good job of painting the DC guys as villains. Oh, come on. That ex- that, that exec gave him a couple of bucks to buy a coat. <laughs> <laughs> I actually I learned some I learned things from it, which is a good sign for me. These episodes are like mini documentaries, and for every one of them, I've learned something about it. So I thought that Schuster and Siegel created Superman while working for DC. I didn't know that they created him before and sold the rights to him to DC. Right. That. You know, that kind of changes a lot of the story for me. The context of it really adds to it. Never knew that. Yeah. And, it, you know, here's the thing. It, it it didn't go and it was only an hour long or 40 something minutes. And I got to say, um, it is probably that 47 minutes or whatever length it was probably one of my favorite comic documentaries that I've ever seen. I, I legit teared up um, at the end oh. of it because I and I did learn things about it. Mm-hmm. Well, um, the, the whether. You know, they, they've struggled through the years, you know, let me poppers, essentially, particularly uh, Joe. Yeah. Uh, you know, Jerry was was at least a uh, an employee of the U.S. Postal Service. So he had benefits and was able to feed his family. But I mean, Joe was legit starving. Right. Um, yeah. But you 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 see them after, you know, think that, you know, Neil Adams has involved himself and and, you know, raised their profile and, and gotten support for DC to come to a, a settlement with them to pay them a, a essentially a stipend every year and restore their name to the byline. And they're sitting in that theater in 1978 watching the premiere of the Christopher Reeves Superman and they see their name come up under the credit. I mean, I, that, that moved me. I, yeah, I, same I, here. I oh, choked yeah. up. Yeah. And it was a documentary. Yeah. Like it was a TV show. And I'm like, oh my God, like I'm choked they, up at this scene. They picked a really good spot to end it too, because that's not the end of the litigations. No. They're still, I mean, they're still going on in some cases. Yeah, but that was a good ending for the story they were telling, because most of the litigation after that doesn't actually involve either of them. It involves their families, right? And that left you on after so much depression about how they were living. To end there was the only spot that they could really end on a high note, and it it was a gut punch. I was very surprised at what a remarkable job the documentarians did 
and making Neil Adams not sound like such a douchebag. You uh, know, I thought the same. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't mean to cut you off here. Yeah. I've not been a fan of Neil Adams. I feel like Neil Adams, you know, he he in his heyday was a wonderful artist, but I've never been a fan of him personally. Right. But damn, if he didn't seem like a hero in this documentary, well, I was like, wow, I did not know that about Neil Adams. Well, and Neil Adams truly is a hero in this story. I mean, you know, and I knew that before the documentary because, you know, Neil Adams was at the top of his game when he became became aware of what was going on with Jerry and Joe and how they had they, – they were essentially reaping no benefit at all to the success of Superman. And, you know, he's the guy who said, you know, no, you know, this isn't right. DC, you need to do right by these guys. And had it not been for Neil Adams, Jerry and Joe never would have gotten what they got. Uh, because DC, right or wrong, was within the law. You know, they they had not done anything illegal. Uh, it was just, you know, I think it's more of a question of right and wrong versus versus legal or illegal. And, you know, fortunately, you know, public opinion really pressured DC and Warner to do right by, by Jerry and Joe now and, and doing right. I mean, I think it's, I think you can throw that up in air quotes because uh, that $20,000 a year for each of them just seems awfully meager in terms of the, you know, billion dollar industry that, that Superman is put that aside. The, at least these two guys were able to live comfortable lives through the end of the, of their years. Cause those guys each had about 25 years ahead of them after that. Yeah, I mean, when you saw what they had been going through yeah. and how poor and, uh, you know, struggling they were, that's a big deal. And, you know, don't didn't you get the feeling? I mean, and I have always I read I can't remember the Superman documentary, the Superman uh, nonfiction book that I read. But, you know, they go into a lot about, you know, Jerry's rage. I mean, Jerry and they, they, they showed some of that in the documentary about how angry Jerry was. Uh, you know, that he just felt like he was getting ripped off and it was just this festering wound on his heart. And don't you, didn't you get the feeling like if that was happening today, he'd have just shot the place up. I mean, that's, it, it, it just seemed, you know, that, that sort of just boiling over sort of rage that, uh, you know, was going to end in gunplay. Hell I could see that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, I'm, I'm glad it didn't. No. Yeah. Um, no. I was, yeah. The way he was portrayed, he was definitely, um, it was definitely portrayed as the angry one, right? Well, and, I, and I don't think that portrayal was off base based on some of the other things that I've read. I mean, I do, I do feel yeah. like that was a valid interpretation. But you know, if you were seeing that in a movie or something today, you're like, oh god, keep him away from the firearms. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah I, I feel like you know, I felt like in certain aspects, I was watching a movie, and and with a little bit of extra padding, you know, a half hour extra, this thing could have legitimately been a, a documentary, not yeah. an episode of a TV well, show. I'm looking forward to the Blu-ray release for this thing, because I imagine that there's a bunch of unused footage. Well, Good and point. Paul, I felt like that about, I think it's a every episode at this point. Yeah. The, uh, the Wonder Woman one was particularly strong. I learned a lot from that one, too. It's like I knew the story, but I had no idea how he got involved in comics. Well, and yeah. there were a lot of aspects of the story. I thought I knew the story, but there were things I didn't know about it. I think one of the things that's very refreshing about this documentary series is that every episode stands on its own in that they don't use the same sort of techniques or styles to tell the story. They, they develop a technique and style that's story appropriate, right? So like in yeah. the first episode with uh, Jack and Stan, they, use, they, they, they make cartoons of Jack and Stan, whereas the uh, 
the uh, William Marsden story for Wonder Woman is, you know, do, doing a bunch of uh, period appropriate, you know, flashbacks. Um, mm-hmm. And then the, you know, the, the uh, Jerry and Joe story is, is just straight up a documentary. I just, I like that they've not just said, okay, this is our brand. This is how we do documentaries. They're, they're, they are approaching each one as a unique type of story and they, they use a different storytelling mechanism. The, the now, one I, thing I will complain about, I will mm-hmm. complain about the Jerry and Joe story is I understand that he's an employee of AMC, uh, but I don't need Kevin Smith in every damn documentary I see. Uh, I agree. And I'm sorry, Kevin Smith hasn't done that much work in Superman. He is not a Superman aficionado. I just, I, it just irritates the living tar out of me. I'm surprised at some of the people who they haven't included, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, in some of these uh, stories and, and some of these documentaries. And it could just be that they weren't available, didn't want to participate. I mean, they definitely I would rather see people who who have been known, um, you know, experts in these meetings. For example, uh, you know, a guy who they haven't talked to. And I know you guys are going to roll your eyes, but he's truly a master of comic book history is freaking Grant Morrison. Um, you know, he, he is intricately or intimately familiar with the histories of Wonder Woman and Superman. Um, if you've ever heard that guy in an interview and I'm surprised that he's not in this. I have heard that guy in an interview and he's batshit crazy. That might be why they don't want to put him in front of the camera. (laughs) Ah, he's more interesting than Kevin Smith. You can't Um, keep him on topic at all. Oh, that's fair. I, I have, I, and I, you know, someone mentioned uh, the Wonder Woman episode. I enjoyed the Wonder Woman episode as well. Um, I, I appreciate that. It is the first Wonder Woman documentary piece that hasn't shied away from the the true details of things, right? And the, you know, right. some of them have mentioned the the bigamy of it, um, you know, the un the um, you know the unusual relationship and, and things like that. But none of them have gone to this level of detail that he had kids with both of them, which I got to be honest, I didn't know. Yeah, um, yeah. These, these oh, are truly great. Even a step above that, the kids didn't know. Yeah. That, uh, you know, the struggle that one of the kids went through just to find out who his father was and that he almost sued his own mother to find out. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, I think uh, the secret history of comics is so good. It makes me kick myself that we didn't think of this first. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, we talk about we, we have talked about uh, most of these stories uh, previously. But as far as doing a secret history of comics podcast, it, it, it makes me kick myself that we haven't that we didn't think of this first, because um, it's just so obvious. We always complain about documentaries not being detailed enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we finally get one. And I'm like, huh, you know, like we've been recording for eight years, complaining about how documentaries about comics aren't detailed enough. And we never actually did one. I can tell you. But... What, I can tell you what. It's much easier to complain about things. <laughs> yeah, very true. I, I, you very know, very I, true. I, complaining versus doing complaining every time. That's all I can yeah. say. <laughs> <laughs> so, what I'm curious about is what does Kirkman actually have to do with the series? Did they just throw his name on for name recognition, and he's like ex- an honorary producer or something? I think or it was probably, he have input? I think it was probably his idea for the series, and it's coming out under his uh, production house. But I think that's all he has to do with the series. Yeah, because I was afraid when I saw it that it was going to be a him sitting on screen talking a lot, and that definitely is not the case at all. Yeah, these are all very well done. He's not in any of them so far, right? Yeah. I've seen some clips of him talking about comics. I assume they're interviewing him at some point. 
for some story, and maybe it'll be the the image revolution. But uh, uh, yeah, if they don't bring him on for image, I want to see him. I want to see Todd McFarlane for the image revolution. Yeah, yeah. I I hope it's doing well because you know I I it is awfully entertaining. You know, it's not just educational; it's entertaining. Yeah, agreed. So. This week's big comic release, and perhaps the subject of a future episode of The Secret History of Comics, depending on how it goes, <laughs> is Jeff Johns and Gary Franks, uh, Doomsday Clock, number one. Um, you know, we, we released a short uh, episode with initial thoughts, Aaron and I did, on the release day. Um, but now that we've got the whole gang on to talk about it, we thought we'd get everyone's thoughts as uh, as to the, the probably – the biggest comic release of the year, I, w- I would say, uh, of, of 2017. Um, there have been some big ones, but I, I would say as far as 2017 is concerned, this is probably the biggest thing. Um, so, Tim, you've been quiet. Why don't you start us off with your thoughts on Doomsday Clock number one? Oh, I hate starting. <laughs> I know. That's why I do it every time. Don't do that to me. I hate starting. <laughs> God damn it. Um, as, I, as I read through this book um, – and the way the way they set it up with the the nine the nine box page for for the most part on this guy, this really felt like 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 the the Watchmen, like the the way they set up the page felt extremely like like that comic. There's a, a well, I, mean, I say a lot a lot going on. There's not as much dialogue as as, as you'd think, but. Um, there, there's not much. As, there's not as much as the old uh, Watchmen comics. Maybe because you didn't have to set up so much, because it's already been set up. But the thing that struck me the most was that it felt like a natural continuation of that story because of how they set up the the look of the of the book. Um, I I really could do without lenticular covers. I got to be honest. I, I like when they give me an option to not pay five ninety nine and pay four ninety nine, just get a regular cover, because um, they've been doing that with Action Comics, and I was like, no, just give me the regular stupid cover. Uh, that said, I was told that this was just a one time thing. This first, this first episode, they might do it for twelve, but they weren't going to do it, you know, for the whole run. So I was thankful for that. As far as the story goes. Um, I I mean I'm intrigued enough to definitely keep reading obviously but I'm a little I don't know when we found out Mr. Oz wasn't Ozzy Mendias I was like okay that's got to be even bigger and badder ass and it it really isn't not yet anyways Yeah so I I'll go next on this one um I agree that it felt like it's the continuation of Watchmen, what happens to the world. Rorschach's diary did get out, and everyone knows what uh, Osmondias did. And so the world's about to end again. Uh, Overall, I kind of felt this issue was lackluster. I expected more out of the first issue of the, the story arc. I expected, I don't know, something bigger, bigger action. Yeah, it felt like the the build up to this was was more important than what it, what this was so far. Wow, 
<laughs> not not my reaction to the book at all. Mm. Um, I, I I was I was pretty jazzed about this book, and I think the thing that really grabbed me is the the realization, or at least the suspicion, that uh, in the New Fifty Two, Mom and Pa Kent die in a car accident when Clark is a teenager, right? Whereas in the pre Flashpoint universe. Uh, Mom, Pa Kent lived to a ripe old age. In fact, you know, Pa Kent had a heart attack and, and passed away, but Ma was still around, right? Um, in this universe, they die in a car wreck, and it looks an awful lot to me like, uh, in the way that this story is told, that that car accident was engineered by perhaps Doctor Manhattan, um, and that but, that and that the New Fifty Two itself, when at the end of Watchmen, when uh, Doctor Manhattan says, "I'm going to go off and maybe I'll start a new life or go somewhere where it's less complicated," yada yada, you know, go to another galaxy. Um, it looks an awful lot to me like maybe the New Fifty Two is is crafted whole cloth by Doctor Manhattan. But I thought we pretty much already knew that. I don't think you had seen it that direct. In in the story, I mean, it's it's pretty. I mean, I, I got to tell you, I they, they could certainly walk that back, but it looks pretty clear to me the way those two things are tied together in the book that uh, that was orchestrated. And I I, I just I'm, I'm fascinated, and we talked. Paul and I talked about this earlier in the week. Uh, I'm fascinated by the fact that so much Jeff Johns did such a masterful job linking this story to Watchmen where it seems organic. It doesn't seem like this is just a bolt on to the end of Watchmen. Um, and he did a, I, I, what I'm really dying to know is when they pitched the new 52 was all of this part of that, or did this just come out of Jeff Johns's head a couple of years ago? Because it seems like all of this makes sense in the context of the new 52 story. See, I would say, I don't think it necessarily was because they didn't plan on everything they did with Superman. I mean, that was one of the things that I think the super, Superman becoming the pre New Fifty Two Superman again. That really felt like it was an organic thing that happened. Like they realized that Superman just wasn't working. This other book that was being written by Dan Jurgens with the pre Flashpoint Superman was really working, and they just went with it. I'm. I really don't think yeah. they ever planned on having Superman switch back over. Yeah, I agree that Convergence felt like an anomaly and that they went, ooh, people are really responding to that. We need to bring, you know, that Superman back. But on the other hand, a lot of this stuff, I mean, either either Jeff Johns, I don't want to take anything away from Jeff Johns. I think he's supremely talented. He's a comic book genius, yada, yada. I'm just – I want to know where this came from and when. I really want to know, you know, how early in the New 52 process did this story get pitched because so much of this feels like it was laid down and maybe it was just like he was identifying the holes in the story um, and the opportunities for new stories. But it, there is a part of me that strongly feels like some of this was planned early on. And there was some serious mystery put in to begin with, with everything that Pandora was doing and that she was in every episode, every issue of that first New 52 and that she had talked about, you know, something else out there. Yeah. So anyway, I, you know, I'm sorry that uh, you guys didn't enjoy it. I, I loved this book. I thought, I thought it was fantastic. Oh, I enjoyed it. I just thought it was 
kind of lackluster, and I I expected more to kick off the storyline. So, Paul. Well, and I got to say, I didn't. You know, um, I was I was for me, it was, uh, and I hear you, Wayne, and I, I I for me, I felt almost relieved that there wasn't a big shocker, right? Uh, that Jeff Johns was working on just telling a story, not throwing in a last page shocker for the sake of doing it. We already had the shocker. In DC Rebirth number one, just now you're the, saying the, the, shocker. That's that's two in the pink, one in the stink. Is that right? Is that what we're talking about? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. The, the other thing about this issue is because uh, I'm completely glossing over what Aaron just said. The other <laughs> thing about this issue is I'm sick of the who's behind the the mask identity thing. It's been overdone, and they're doing that with this Rorschach. Making a point to let us know this is a new character, but not telling us who it is. They're obviously doing another who's behind the mask thing, just like they did with Mr. Oz. And it's like this storyline doesn't need another one of those. Just I don't, I, I don't know if that's where they're going. Just I, show I, us. I think they're going. It doesn't matter. I, 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 you could be right, Wayne. It, it could be what you're saying, but I, wouldn't it be better if it's like, yeah, it's Rorschach. Yeah, Mike just, just a guy. Yeah, yeah. Jeff. If they go that route, I will be very happy because that would be really cool. If it's a case of no, it just doesn't matter. I have a feeling that's not what they're doing, though. It could be. I don't know. I don't need a last page shocker, Paul. But it just it just felt like when Mister Oz turned out to be not who we thought it was. I, I wanted something more out of this book. I expected to see Doctor Manhattan in this book. Well, I think we're building to it, right? It is 12. And one thing that I have to, I'm not making excuses because quite frankly, I don't know. I don't know what the story is going, but I do feel like it's 12 issues. Um, so there's definitely breathing room there. I feel like it, it, it's going to take its time getting to the point. Uh, you know, we're going to be dealing with the story for a year now. Um, so, you know, it's not biweekly. It's not anything like that. And and now, thankfully, the artist is Gary Frank, who is who is a timely artist. It's not like we're going to hopefully be dealt with any delays um, during the course of the story. But we're, we're also going to be talking about this story next November. Um, you, so just got to remember that. You know, I think I kind of pinned down what the feel is to me. This felt like a zero issue and not a first issue. Yeah, it was definitely this, set up. Yeah, this felt like it was all like the prequel before you actually start the story. It doesn't doesn't feel like the story started yet. I think that's why where my kind of lackluster comes from is it doesn't feel like the story has even started. I expected this to be bigger. Well, maybe more like the first 15 minutes of a, you know, a, a movie or the first episode of a TV show, I think is more probably apt. You know, I think we'll get to it. Um, but there's there is definitely a lot. I enjoyed the hell out of this issue. I thought the art was gorgeous. Um, you know, I want uh, Gary Frank can draw. I don't know. I, 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 whatever Gary Frank draws is a book I'm going to pick up. Um, I love his art, so I'm on board. Totally I understand on board. I understand he's doing a uh, My Little Pony book next, so you're on board for that. Yeah, yeah, totally on board. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we uh, we we pick up a big piece of this uh, uh, this story in Action Comics this week. It's the aftermath to that Mr. Oz story that we have been uh, enjoying where where the Jor-El shows up, you know, Jor-El who's supposed to have died when when Krypton when Krypton died, uh, 
shows up, turns out that he might actually be Superman's dad. You know, there was some thought that maybe he wasn't and, and, uh, looks like he was being, uh, somehow mind controlled. And, uh, you know, at the end, the mind control wears off and he feels bad about everything that's happened. But, uh, but uh, Action Comics picks up this week with number 992, and Superman's trying to figure stuff out. Paul, what'd you think of this one? I really liked this issue. Um, I, I I will say my favorite part of this issue was the the sequence with Batman. You know, Superman is deep in thought in the Fortress of Solitude. And first of all, the fact that Batman literally just like walked in without Superman knowing he was there. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's freaking Batman. Did you like the Xenomorph in the Fortress of Solitude? I didn't even notice the Xenomorph in the Fortress of Solitude. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now I see it. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I was like, huh. No, he has uh, fought Super- the aliens before. Superman probably shouldn't keep that in the Fortress of Solitude. He should just burn it down. <laughs> <laughs> so I liked Batman's comment when uh, Superman mentions that he didn't hear him coming. That uh, it isn't just Batman being smug about, you know, being Batman. His comment was, uh, looks like you were busy. Kind of trying to point out to him that he's so obsessed with this right now that he's not seeing what's going on. Well, true. and But I did think it was funny when he walks up and he's like, hey, you broke your little table. And <laughs> is it is it just me or does that sound like the line from uh, First Contact when when Picard has his little rage about the Borg in his ready room and oh, yeah. smashes all of the, the Enterprise models off the wall and, and she says, <laughs> yeah. you broke your little ships. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and one thing I loved about this this conversation, it's kind of come full circle if you go all the way back to uh, Infinite Crisis when Batman and Superman had the conversation on the moon and Batman tells Superman that he hasn't inspired anyone since he died. Right. Now it's come full circle of Batman is – the characters are in very different places now. Batman's there to support him. He's not there because he's afraid he's going to go off the deep end. He's there – as a friend and as a friend that can relate that he, uh, he, you know, shared the story that he met his own father and wasn't what he thought he was either. Yeah. There's definitely, yeah. you know, it, it, I, I appreciated that scene where they're both like, huh, this life, huh? Right. But, I like that, that Bruce and Clark are friends. You know, that was a, that was a big, uh, fix when, you know, the, our, our pre flashpoint Superman showed up, uh, and you know, we we reestablish the history between these two characters. I, the, the DC universe doesn't feel right when Superman and Batman, you know, don't know each other, right? Where they don't hang out together. I mean, the fact that uh, that you know Bruce and Damien come over for, for for meals at the at the the, the Kent farm is uh, is important to me. I enjoy those types of stories, and I enjoy these types of moments between these two characters. Agreed. But I know you guys were excited about that last page. Yes, that was the highlight of the issue for me. I love the, the Batman Superman conversation, but and I like the second to the last page too. I, I you know the the Superman running on Flash's time tra- treadmill was awesome. You, I love I, I love that page. Yes, you know, and the you know I have to go back to Krypton. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, because I mean, and let, let, let's let go ahead and, and, you know, bring it full circle. The original Superman goes back to Krypton 
was a Jerry Siegel story, right? I mean, this is an this is a a direct homage, and you know we we've seen it in all the various iterations of Superman through the years that they retell that Superman on Krypton story all the time, but that was originally a Jerry Siegel story, um, and I mean so so very timely that that came out the same week that uh, that documentary came out. Yeah, and actually I. I didn't audibly cheer, but I almost did when I turned the page and there's Booster. Yeah. I have missed Booster, especially the time-traveling, secret-saving-the-universe version of Booster. Yeah. Well, I, I do particularly like you've got that big explosion of Speed Force, right, as as uh, Superman's breaking the time barrier. And then everything calms down and you just this little burst of light. Wait! <laughs> 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 because, you know, Booster, time traveler. Always late, always. So yeah, it was, it, it, I I thoroughly enjoyed this book. I and I I like the moments where Lois is pepping up Superman. You know where she's she's telling him. You know sometimes you've got to follow your in- instincts, even though they may seem extreme. Um, I thought that was all all good stuff. I'm worried about Clark's job. I'm worried. I, I I'm, I'm concerned that uh, he's not going to come back with a story. <laughs> Definitely. I why do I get the impression Lewis is going to write the story for him? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I super good book. I, I just I really, really enjoyed this. Well, and another book I enjoyed this week was this week's Detective Comics, The Fall of the Batman Part One. Uh, you didn't like it? Uh, uh. <laughs> Well, okay. I, I just I'm I'll I'll just start by saying this. There are things about the book to like. Yeah. But we're diving back into the victim syndicate again, and boy, I, how I hated the whole victim syndicate. Yeah, toast don't care. The so, last three pages, I'm like, yeah, this is going to suck. So I know nothing about the victim syndicate at all. Don't know who any of them are. are have well, I tell you, I know who the know who Anarchy is, of course, but I don't know what the deal with any of that is. I'll be honest, I didn't care about the overall story of the issue, but I freaking love this issue. Because this is all Stephanie and Tim. I, and see, I thought those parts worked. I, you know, I love the page where Batwoman is is giving Tim some relationship advice, uh, which is hysterical because she is always the crappy person in the relationship. And she, she owns that. Yeah. And she's like, you're, you're being the crappy person in the relationship. You're being a bad boyfriend. And I, I loved that page. I, I think a lot of this, this thing works. The thing that, that really – disturbs me is I think that we're running, we're heading into five more issues of victim syndicate. And I hated that the first time around. Absolutely hated it the first time around. I couldn't have cheered more at the reunion between Stephanie and Tim. The she's the, I thought the art was really good for that too. The tears coming from her eyes as he, he's going on and trying to talk and explain everything. And she just jumps in his arms and kisses him. Wouldn't, wouldn't like, you have liked to have seen the older, older Tim Drake come back and say, no, no, I'm here to stop you from seeing Stephanie Brown anymore because this is, <laughs> it's just, it's just wrong. No, yeah. no, I don't want that. Yeah, yeah. I do. Yeah, I'm all about I'm it. In, I'm in. Like, she's not going to see Tim. Yeah, she's going to destroy the team, but you need to stop dating Stephanie Brown. Like, seriously. <laughs> Yeah, this last story arc was what brought me into the book, the uh, the future Tim one, and all of the Stephanie stuff in this one is what really made me love the story. 
Uh, no, see, you could even go, look, Tim, look what she's, look what she's seeing when, when you're gone. Anarchy in jail. Okay. Let's just, you know, it's not a good look. <laughs> she's seeing villains. Her dad's a villain. You see where I'm going with this? <laughs> well, one of the things that, that I really enjoy about, you know, any book that I'm reading is when I find that I'm asking the same questions that the character in the book asks a few pages later. And so we see that Killer Moth has brought together his his little uh, you know, anti, you know, Batman group. And one of the the members on his team is Solomon Grundy. And I'm like, how the hell does Killer Moth get Solomon Grundy on his team? And then later in the book, I mean, you know, like you know, several pages later, how does he how does he get Solomon Grundy on his team? And then we find out. I, I, I loved these pages. I, you know, that that part was the part I liked when, when Rob, it's yeah. like, you know, it really is a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> he's shaking his head. He's like, yeah. I just want you to know this is a really good idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's great that, that Tim is building him up. <laughs> yep. Because he's punching him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, that I, was I, the part I liked was, about the book. There was so much right about this book. It's just setting it up for the victim syndicate. I just – I hate those guys, Paul. I hate them. I'm not the biggest fan, but I enjoyed the – and it's funny because – and I say I like this book, but looking back on it, there were issues. I had issues with it, which is basically that the same story happened twice in the same book, um, which is a gathering of, of, of villains against – you know, the superheroes. It happened in the middle of the book with the Solomon Grundy, Mr. Zaz, Firefly, you know, scene. And then it happened at the end with the victim syndicate. I'm like, huh. Like we have two full page reveals of basically two supervillain groups. And I don't know. It's it's just funny that that same thread was used twice well, in the same comic. The, the ideology is very different, though, right? Yes. You know, the, the, the group that Killer Moth put together was all about making money at $500,000 a week for protection. For the for the bad guys in town, whereas the victim syndicate, you know, is is very you know ideology based, where they just they 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 think Batman's wrong and anybody aligned with Batman is wrong. Yeah, I had a lot of issues with the book overall, storyline wise, but I said it was those character moments that made me love the book. I have no problem saying I love this issue, even though it had story issues, and I'm. I don't care about the storyline going on. I just want to see more Tim and Stephanie. It scratched an itch I haven't had since before the new 52. Well, Tim's about to turn her into a supervillain. I hope you understand. That. Yeah, that's happening. She's going to die any <laughs> any day now. Yeah. Oh, no, no. Supervillain. She will be a supervillain. Wait, you, my boyfriend lied to me? Murder! Yep. That's what it's going to be. Yep. Yeah. Gonna, yeah. I'm going to turn the, the side piece. <laughs> not so. She is already on the edge. She's already thinking maybe robbing a bank and leaving some yeah. some, some clues is uh, is the thing to do. Yeah. yeah, I thought that was interesting that she went down that thought process and was only pulled out of it because Tim showed up at her door. Yeah, mm. yeah, bad boyfriend. Yeah, yeah. you know when anarchy boyfriend. starts to make more and more sense. That's that's time to change your pants. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, and let's face it, looking through the comics, Tim's always been a bad boyfriend. Yeah, Tim. That's true. Yeah. All your fault, yeah. Tim. Fucking Tim. God. I hate Tim. Can't trust those Tims. They're all bad. All of them. All of them. <laughs> I don't have anything to say about that. This is why I stopped dating Tim. <laughs> this this <laughs> very reason. This was. Yeah. Did it have yeah, anything to do with the fact that you never picked up after yourself? <laughs> <laughs>
It was it was Clean a mutual decision. <laughs> <laughs> so you know. Uh, now that Tim's back, you know, in the previous issue of Detective Comics, we saw a glimpse of what Tim might be like, you know, if he becomes Batman. And of course, you know, in this issue of Detective Comics, he has embraced, you know, yeah, maybe I am going to be a Batman, but I can shape that future. Maybe I can't avoid being Batman, but I can shape the kind of Batman I be as opposed to being the, you know, cra- you know, crazy bag of Batman that uh, the Tim Drake from the future was. Mm-hmm. Um and then Paul shared with me some artwork this week, which uh, was rather intriguing. Take it away, Paul. So I hadn't yet read last week's issue of Super Sons, but apparently there was an appearance um, by uh, future Damian Wayne in it. Um, the Damian Wayne who premiered in Batman number 666, written by Grant Morrison, the Damian Wayne of the future, um, <sighs> where he has taken over the, the mantle of Batman. I know, I hear you, but I I love that Damian Wayne. Um, but uh, there is uh, but the threads are you know of of the future characters, um, the suit, the Batman of tomorrow, uh, the Tim Drake, the this Batman, um, the Damian Wayne Batman, as well as mentioning Connor Kent. It seems like these threads um, are setting up for a storyline that is coming in the pages of Super Sons. Francis Manuel posted a, um, some preview art on Instagram. And I think it was just cover art, but I think we're going to be seeing Connor Kent come back in the pages of Super Sons, probably within the next couple of issues, um, as well as the, the appearance of obviously Damian Wayne Batman. I don't know if we're going to see Tim Drake Batman as well, but they're, they're definitely setting up for a larger storyline there. And so we are going to get Connor Kent back now in what context? I don't know, but I'm very interested. And that that's a cool book to bring him sick. back in. Yeah, it is. And it's awfully surprising to me that they would bring Connor back. I mean, I, I, I have been hoping for this. I just never thought they'd do it in a world where we've got Jonathan Kent. I'm cautious, right? I'm cautiously yeah. optimistic because. Yeah. Yeah. No, it feels like they're bringing him back to kill him, right? <laughs> <laughs> or yeah, just you know, take him away again. Yeah, it's like bringing spoiler back. You bring spoiler back, and then you, then then you take her away. You know, just so that you can torment Wayne. I feel like this is to torment you and I, Paul. Are you sure it's actually Connor, and it's not going to end up being a aged Jonathan? I haven't seen this artwork that you're talking about, so it's hard to say. But no, it's Connor. In, in the the solicitation, it says specifically Connor Ken. And they can't lie in solicitations, Wayne. No. That's against the law. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like if on, if it's on the internet, it has to be true. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There, there's an there there is an internet truth policy. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's true. Huh? I Actually, can't say it on a podcast if it's it not true. It could be Jonathan Kent looking at the art now. No, no. I think it's going to be Connor Kent. <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. All the news that's fit to talk about. Damn it! No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, maybe this we'll see. We put in the chant. Paul fucked up. Yeah, no, it's going to be Connor Kent. I, I've heard that Connor Kent was coming back, so we'll see. I'm, I'm excited either way. Where did you hear that from, Paul? A it's in the solicitations. The no, yeah, it's one. It's one of the voices in his head. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I think in the solicitations for Super Sons, either next month or for next month or the week or the month after, um, we're going to get uh, Connor Kent. I, I did read that, but like Aaron sure. said, it could be misleading solicitations. But they wouldn't do that. Why would no, they do that? That would be wrong. Yeah, that would that, that would, be, would be jerky. Yeah, be a schmucky thing to do. A schmucky thing to do. <laughs> well, <laughs> so next week is a fifth week 
in comic stores, which means that um, very We're limited comic week book releases. Well, maybe, but there's other stuff to talk about. That means about. you get a clip show next week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> best of! One hour of all the best Paul's mom jokes. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. Uh, that's going to be left on the cutting room floor. Um, oh, don't act like you already haven't super cut that, Paul. We don't even <laughs> Well, you know, you guys, I don't know. I feel like you probably don't know this, but Super Sun's annual number one, you know, because they, DC t- takes advantage of these fifth weeks to release annuals, comes out next week. The storyline featuring the storyline Super Pets Unleashed. The world's furriest team of Crypto and Titus together at last. The doggy duo leads the Super Sons on a canine-powered epic. Depending on the art, I'm down for that. It's Paul Pelletier, so it's going to... I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're, they're, yeah, so DC's releasing a couple of annuals next week, and perhaps um, even bigger than that. And I, it, it is something I'm going to try to watch. I, I, emphasis on try and I'll let you know how it goes next week is crisis on earth X, which is, is it an animated feature? No crisis on earth X is a four part crossover, uh, two episodes, Monday night, two episodes, Tuesday night between the uh, CW TV oh. shows yeah. where they're, they're basically their mirror universe counterparts from the Nazi universe of earth X um, come and invade the TV universe. Uh, it's all it's all four episodes are within two nights uh, starting Monday at eight. I haven't watched any episodes this season of any of the shows, but I got to say, I saw the trailer for the crossover and it looks pretty darn good. So I'm going to give it a shot. So I haven't I've actually watched Arrow this season, not caught up at all, but I've watched a few episodes of it. I haven't watched any of the episodes of any of the others yet. And I love Supergirl. I just haven't started watching it. So I don't know that I'll watch this one yet because I'm really far behind. I got to say that there are no CW shows on my DVR anymore. Not I, since I, Gilmore I Girls left, huh? <laughs> I, uh, I deleted my all of my season passes to uh, the CW superhero shows. Let's be fair. Your season passes are revoked, Darren. They heard what you said about them. <laughs> I, I, the, it's not that I don't enjoy them. It's just I don't have time to watch them. And by the time I have time to watch them, they're on Netflix. So yeah, that's that's my move. That's the, that's yeah. the only reason I watch those things now. It's like, oh, it's the whole thing's on Netflix, right? I mean, I can't tell you how many seasons behind I'm on Super. I am on Supernatural now. Let's be so, fair; you're not missing much. Yeah. <laughs> after, so after after issue after after season five, let's just say we're, we're good. So, am I the only one? Who's uh, who's going to be watching the Crisis on Earth X? You're literally the only one. I I watch it, Paul. I just don't think I'll watch it for next week because I'm too far behind. All we'll, right, we'll, we'll get caught up in that shit, Wayne. I'd I'd offer to jump in there with you, Paul, but that's four hours of my life. <laughs> what are you going to do with that four hours of your life? You you are all caught up on Longmire. You have time. I don't know. I still need to finish the uh, season two of Stranger Things. That was good. Yeah, just, I, I finished. I started, and it was really good. You know I just you haven't could finished. Do, you so. know what you could do, Aaron? You could, you, could, you could finish Punisher with me. I think I think that's probably going to be my move. Mm. I, I got to do that, too. Do some big time, I'm going to do some big-time Punisher watching this week. Because, you know, as I said, the wife's going out of town, so all the TV time is mine. I don't have to do any of this coordinating the TV viewing stuff. I can watch it all, Paul. I'm not going to ruin anything, but, but Frank Kent, Castle Parental Guidance uh, moments. 
are amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, before we wrap up, I just want to say one more thing, which is that Superman number 38 says, see the return of future Superman, Connor Kent, Wonder Woman, Cassie Sandsmark and Bart Allen Flash. So did you make all that? I know I'm looking at it right now. (laughs) Uh, So this super sons of tomorrow thing is, is a buildup. It is a crossover between Superman, super sons and teen Titans. Um, It's a real thing. It's a thing. Damn it. I didn't just make it up. Connor Kent is coming back uh, next month. So uh, just so you know, we believe you, Paul, we believe you. You didn't believe me. He's going to be an evil a-hole Connor Kent from that, from that one universe that they did the teen Titans from. Yeah, I think we so. believe that you believe it. <laughs> that doesn't help. <laughs> and if if you take away anything from this from this uh, episode, just know that we don't help. Yeah. <laughs> so what I'm wondering about is is everything from the horrible Teen Titans New Fifty Two series now retconned and gone? If they're bringing back the good version of Cassie and the good version of the Superman clone, did the crappy versions never exist? Because I'm fine with that. I like the evil versions. I, I like that story. No, he means the New 52, like the, right. the book itself, not the evil versions, just the poorly oh, written oh, Yeah, oh, the oh, Scott Lobdell versions of Teen Titans. Try not to think too hard, I guess is what I would tell you. <laughs> yeah, try not to yeah. hope too hard on that one, Wayne. Don't don't squint at that yeah, one. Don't, don't, don't try and bring it into focus. It's just going to hurt your head. Yeah, <laughs> pinning, pinning your hopes and dreams on the Teen Titans is a shallow vessel, much like pinning your hopes and dreams on Paul. It's kind of like that that scene with uh, Michael York and Austin Powers talking about the time travel, you know. <laughs> I mean, you really just need that that panel in in the, in the book, right? You know, don't think about it too much. <laughs> That's okay. I'm getting my Teen Titans fix from Nightwing uh, World Order, or whatever it's called. <laughs> whatever that book is called. That book is good, is what it is, but I don't know what it's called. It must be really good then. Yeah. All right, guys. Before we go completely off the rails, we will see you next week. Bye, everybody. Have a good one. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. 